The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, welcome Disability Law Show. We're back at it. Good to have you along. John Skulls here hosting. My good pal Martin Willems is the uh, brains of the operation, Samfiru Tamarkin LLP. That's where Martin resides. Anytime you want to reach out, you could do so. Always ready for a phone call. They are the entire team, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca and any other information. In fact, uh, do you think you have a case going forward, something that you're not sure about, even before the phone call, pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. It's a great great app. I was going to say app, but it is kind of an app. It's a web page, and you can go there freely and anonymously in a couple you know, bits of information you type in. Nothing personal. It doesn't have to be your name or anything. Completely anonymous, but it'll take a couple minutes to go through that and find out uh, some more information. Again, pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. The emails, Martin, already uh, piling up. Pal, but you got some business to take care of off the top. What do you got? Well, today we're going to be speaking about workers' claims. Right. Workplace injury claims, really, um, in the context of having a coverage through your employer for disability. In other words, you've got a group insurer who provides coverage for things like extended health and LTD, long-term disability, and what the interplay is between having a workplace injury and the things that you should do because obviously workers' compensation comes into the picture as well. So I've made a little list to discuss this morning. And the reason why I'm speaking about this is it seems to be coming up a lot these days. Not that it wasn't before, but it seems to be increasing. And I'm not sure if it is because people feel very stressed in the workplace. And that's spilling over in the way that they interact with each other. People may be vulnerable still due to, I mean, the pandemic has been a while now, but people's mental health may still be suffering. Yeah. And that they may be vulnerable yep. mm-hmm. to any form of stressor if they perceive it to be maybe bullying or harassment. So the reason why I'm going to speak about this today again is I see lots of these cases come up and there are lots of pitfalls. And I think if you're listening out there and you know anybody or it's you yourself where your mental health is suffering as a result of workplace issues and you're considering filing a claim for disability benefits, which will ultimately evolve into long-term disability benefits if you stay off work for a longer period of time. There are certain things that you should know before you go down that road to submit the claim forms because I see people make the same mistake over and over again and they then are faced with a denial and it becomes tricky for them how to navigate their way forward. So, What would that be? Well, the first thing that we would say is if you have a workplace injury, regardless of whether it is a mental health or a physical injury, submit the claim to workers' compensation. Um, and I'll explain further down the line why that is necessary. But if you are working with an employer and you had a workplace injury and your employer obviously is contributing to workers' comp to protect you, should you have a disability arising from a workplace injury? That's why it's there. So you should submit that claim. I've seen situations where the insurance, where an employer may have said to the employee, no, no, don't do this. We'll go through a different avenue. Don't accept that. 
submit that claim. There are deadlines or timelines within which you have to submit it. Look, we're not a workers' compensation law firm. That's not the area we practice in, but there is an interplay, a very strong interplay between workers' compensation claims and disability claims. And as far as I understand, the claim that has to be submitted or notice has to be provided to the workers' compensation body within a year of the injury. Now, don't quote me on that, but that's my understanding. So you have to submit that claim if it happens, if the employer is resisting it, you contact them yourself and tell them that this is what happened. You want to submit a claim. The interesting one here uh, that you wrote down, and, and tackle this for a sec, because I, I didn't realize this, or maybe it's the verbiage. You said, you know, if it's a mental health claim, your doctor uh, have your doctor comment on whether you're disabled from working in your own job only or if you're disabled from working in your occupation. You say there's a difference. Break that down for me. There is a difference, and it's a very, very important one. So this goes back to my earlier comment that when I get phone calls and our team gets phone calls wherever people are in Canada, right, because we serve people, various Mm -hmm. communities other than Quebec and the territories, we've got offices um, in Alberta, Vancouver, and um, Ontario. So we get phone calls from many people, and they, when it's a workplace injury, and it has been as a result of mental health, often... Quite often, these claims are denied. And the reason is the following. The disability policy that you have with your group insurer provides that you have to submit evidence that due to a sickness or an injury, you are unable to perform the essential duties of your occupation. Now, listen to the words I use there. Essential duties of your occupation, not your job. So I'll use an example. Somebody goes to work. They get a new manager who's very aggressive. They already have some vulnerabilities. They feel that this person is bullying and harassing them. Right. And they get embarrassed in front of their co-workers. They burst into tears. They go home. They cannot sleep. They develop anxiety. They develop depression. They have panic attacks to the extent that the doctor says, you should not go back to that place. You should file a disability claim. I'm going to book you off for stress or whatever it may be. The person then submits their claim to the insurance company. The do- there's a question on the uh, attending physician statement. Is this due to workplace, due to a workplace issue or workplace injury? The doctor ticks yes. The insurance company invariably will deny that claim by saying, well, this seems to be very particular to your workplace. In other words, where you are working, you now have a person with whom you're not getting along. This person is not being very kind to you and you have developed this disability, but it's really an issue with respect to you and the employer. This is, not a, this is not a disability in the context of our policy. Our policy provides that you must be disabled from performing the duties of your occupation. And that means then that if you are able to go work in your job performing your occupation at a different location right. or for a different employer, so imagine it's a branch and the branch manager of a bank and the branch manager is the person who is creating all this chaos. They just move you to a different location where that branch manager is present. So the theory then is if that is done, then you are no longer disabled. This is really an issue between you and your work, uh, your employer. It's not our problem. Now, of course, it's not as easy as that. Because as I said before, as an example, somebody may already have vulnerabilities they may already have some pre-existing issues with respect to their mental health. 
then this happens at the workplace and they become disabled. Removing the person from the stressful situation is one thing, but does that mean that they are no longer disabled, that the disability itself, the anxiety, the depression, the PTSD, the panic attacks have now miraculously just disappeared because they're no longer there? No. They need to be treated. They need to be treated to the extent that they can build up some resiliency so that they can go back to work even if it is in a different location or for a different employer. So when I say, have this discussion with your doctor, when the question is asked, is this due to a workplace injury? Make sure that you and the doctor are on the same page, that if it is so that this happened as a result of bullying and harassment at this workplace, is it also true that you are now disabled as a result of that? And even if you were to be placed in a different location, you're still not ready to go back to work. I'm not saying that the doctor should say this if it's not true, right? If it really is, I am just stressed because I'm working with somebody who I don't like and I can clearly go back to work as long as that person is not there, then that's right. a whole different discussion. But that's not what I see when I speak to people. When I speak to them, they have their doctor's support that they have to go off work because their mental health has become so compromised that they have difficulty managing their activities of daily living. And simply removing the person who's creating all the stress, the harassment and the bullying doesn't mean that this person is now simply ready to go back to work. So in that context, when you do submit your claim for long-term disability benefits, and that was one of the other points that we were making here, is submit your claim to Workers' Comp, to WorkSafe, if it is due to a workplace injury. And do not think that mental health claims are excluded if it is due solely to what is happening at work and it is a recognizable psychiatric illness, that's normally what the legislation reads like, right. then you should submit a claim to workers' comp because, I, I want to say recently, but time flies by so fast, I think within the last decade, some of the legislation has changed in the various provinces that they now do recognize mental health claims due to bullying and harassment. With that being said, very few of these cases get approved. Oh. But we're speaking about this in the context of submitting a claim to the long-term disability insurer. When you submit your claim to WorkSafe, that claim will be adjudicated. The interplay between the two is, as we've said so many times in the past, the disability policies are contracts. These contracts have provisions that allow the insurance company to offset certain benefits that you get from other sources. One of the ones that you always see in group policies would be workers' compensation benefits. So if you do not submit a claim to workers' comp, the insurance company, based on the language in their policies, may even decide to not even deal with you and say, you have to go to workers' comp. We need to see what they're going to do. And if they approve this claim, it likely will wipe out your LTD benefit. And if you do not consider applying, some policies may even say that the insurance company can estimate the benefit and deduct it. So do what you can. Submit it to workers' comp, submit it to the LTD insurer, and then see where it goes. And make sure that you and your doctor complete the forms properly. If it is that you cannot work in your own occupation, this is just your own job, don't fall into that trap. Because that's the reason why I speak to so many people who are denied due to the fact that the doctor says they cannot go back to their job and the insurance company jumps on that and says, oh, okay, so you're not disabled from your own occupation, you're just going to go back to this workplace. I know that there are a few other ones that we all still, still have to discuss um, and that will go 
to disability claims that are denied yep. in the context while they're still being paid by the insurance by the workers' compensation board. We will get to that after a short break, so stick around for that. In the meantime, you always want to contribute to the show. You can do so. Phone number is one 821 5900 to get a hold of Martin and his team for any questions. And the email address we always use every week on the show is help at disabilityrights.ca. And more of the Disability Law Show is coming right up after a short break, so stick around. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Yeah, you bet. We're back with the Disability Law Show. John Scholes here. Martin Willems on the other end. He's uh, handling all the heavy lifting. He's the guy you want to reach out to, by the way. If you have concerns dealing with an insurance company, maybe you've been cut off or told it's going to happen. Maybe you've been asked to appeal for the 15th time, right? Don't let that happen. Just call Martin and his team confidentially and have a have a chat anyway. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.cn. For any other questions, you can go to the anonymous website, which is built for you to type in your questions. Searchable too, right? Call mydisabilityquestions.com. Uh, okay, Martin, pick it up where we left off. We were talking about, uh, you know, all the, uh, all the intricacies of WorkSafe and uh, workers' comp as well, right? We have. And you know what? As I'm sitting here thinking about it, it really is not an easy thing to navigate, even at the end of where lawyers try to manage the facts. Um, I cannot imagine how difficult it must be for somebody who doesn't know how this works, mm-hmm. who's sitting at the other end of this, they're going through a very difficult time at work, um, they know that they've got the LTD insurer in the background as well, they're not sure how to manage this, the employer may say to you, only go through LTD or only go through WorkSafe, you're concerned that you're going to miss some timelines which you may not even be aware of. So it really is difficult, but f- try and keep this as simple as possible. It's a workplace injury, which means there's a workers' compensation claim that must be filed. Do it. There's also your LTD insurer. Don't let the employer tell you or somebody else tell you or even think that, well, workers' compensation is paying me, so I'm not going to submit a claim to, for long-term disability benefits. Why should I? Because I'm getting my money from workers' comp. Right. The policies, as we've discussed, are contracts, and they have specific timelines. And it becomes difficult to, after the fact, try and manage these things when they've already gone sideways. We do it, we do it on a regular basis, but to make things easier for yourself, submit the claim to the long-term disability carrier, even if you're told not to do so. The reason being, as I said, there are timelines. I can use as an example, I've had people come to me where they were paid by workers' comp, 18 months down the line, workers' comp, stops paying their benefits, then they right. submit the claim to the insurance company, and the insurance company says, uh-uh, we're not going to pay you because we're relying on our contractual timelines. You were supposed to submit notice of the claim within 30 days, and you were supposed to p- give us proof of your claim within 90 days that the disability arose. So this is no longer our problem. Wow. So don't listen to when somebody says you don't submit a claim. Submit a claim to both of them, to Workers' Comp and to the LTD insurer. And it becomes even more tricky if you've now submitted a claim to workers' comp, they're paying you benefits, you're also submitting a claim to the long-term disability insurer, and it's not that they're not paying you because you're getting paid by workers' comp, they are actually denying your claim on the basis that they say you are not disabled within the meaning of the policy. Because once that denial was made, there now is something called a limitation period that is Mm -hmm. running. And you do not want to miss that limitation period. 
generally it is two years from the date that they denied your claim. Now, think about this. It's a tricky situation because you're continuing to be paid by workers' comp. The insurance company has denied your claim. So that two-year timeline is running in the same time as you're being paid benefits by workers' comp. Right. You want to make sure that you still submit a legal claim or file a legal claim within the two-year timeline so that when workers' comp stops paying your benefits, you didn't miss that two-year timeline because then the insurance company is going to turn around and say, well, you missed the two-year timeline. You're out of time now. We cannot deal with you. So the message to anybody listening here is if you have questions regarding the interplay between having a workplace injury and submitting a long-term disability claim, or if your claim has been denied by the insurance company in the context of works they're paying you or not paying you, or if they are saying, we think this is an own job, this is an own occupation situation, don't be discouraged, don't be overwhelmed. Phone us, we deal with this on a regular basis, and we can discuss with you what your options are, how to manage this, because as I always say, information is power. Making an informed decision is at least going to be able to lift some of that weight off your shoulders. So... That's what so I've got go. to say about WorkSafe. Yeah, quite a bit, but it's it's information that people just don't have, hence the reason why we do the show, Martin. And uh, you want to reach out, by the way, outside this hour, you can, one 821 5900. Let's get to our first email of the show. That would be help at disabilityrights.ca. It says, guys, I'm on WCB for a work injury for one and a half years on a return to work plan, which is now being questioned by a new case manager who's requested an IMC to review my file. I now have cancer and will be 65 in April. Can I receive LTD after 65 with the insurer? That is an interesting question. So remember what we just discussed this morning. So I think it's an appropriate question. Um, And and again, it just shows you how many questions we get from people who are having claims with workers' comp boards and then also LTD insurers. So let's break it down. This person has been receiving workers' compensation benefits for the past one and a half years and is on a return to work plan, which I I don't know what it means, but it's it's now being questioned by the case manager. Maybe it's not going well and they want to send this person for an independent medical examination. But since that injury, there's now also a diagnosis of cancer, which I presume may be disabling, depends on how it's being managed and Mm -hmm. how, how severe it is. So that may impact things. Remember, when you submit a claim to an insurance company, it is, are you disabled from performing the duties of your own occupation after two years, any occupation, generally two years, Um, and it doesn't matter what the illness is, it doesn't matter what the condition is, Um, you just have to show that you've got functional impairment as a result of this, unless there is a pre-existing condition exclusion or something else like that. But the bigger question is, will the insurance company pay them beyond the age of 65, which will be next April? The vast majority of group policies provide that benefits are paid to the age of 65 and not beyond. Some may even provide that it's payable to the age of 60. So you want to look at your group policy as to when benefits terminate. If it is an individual policy, sometimes you can buy something called a rider. And with those riders, you can negotiate when you purchase the policy at the outset, that benefits may become payable to the age of 70. That is normally an issue with respect to people who are self-employed, like doctors and lawyers, etc., where they may not want to retire earlier. 
Uh, goodness knows why, but some people just <laughs> want to carry on working, so they have coverage until the age of 70, but they purchase that rider. But if it's mm -hmm. just a group policy, I highly doubt that this policy will provide for benefits beyond the age of 65, but the way to see whether it does is review the policy itself. Next Daily Mile Mail Up uh, is this. Martin says, guys, uh, I'm on LTD and have started a gradual return to work uh, to full time. My disability relates to bipolar disorder. In order for me to be healthy and balanced, I know how important it is to take care of my health and volunteer to give me a sense of purpose. What should I tell my insurer slash employer to ensure that I will not be required to go on a full-time schedule since a full-time schedule is not sustainable for me long-term in my condition? Thanks for this question. Um, this is a tricky one. It really is a tricky one because it relates specifically relating to this condition, bipolar disorder. Um, it can be managed through medication where some people are quite functional and sometimes due to the nature of the condition that a person may go off their meds and may then become dysregulated and may not be able to work again and may become manic where they're highly functional and then go get a low where they're very, very dysfunctional. Um, this person says in order for them to be healthy and balanced they know how important it is to take care of their health which is true and volunteering gives them the sense of purpose. Another thing that you hear often from treatment providers is that people should try and volunteer, try to get into the, yeah. the community which will help support their mental health and help them improve to the extent that they may become functional, that they can return to their work. But as the question here is, this person is interested in doing something clearly but doesn't want to go back to work on a full-time schedule. When you submit a disability claim to an insurance company, they're looking at the facts as they are at the time. So when you say, I may be able to do something, it is extremely important that your doctor weighs in on this, that your treatment providers weigh in on this, and hopefully there's a psychiatrist in play, at play, and maybe a psychologist as well, where they may be able to give you some written support that you may be able to do something, but on a limited basis. If the insurance company takes the position that the evidence that you've submitted supports that you are now stable, that your medication regime is now figured out and it's allowing you to be functional, you may very well be facing a denial because the insurance company may say, well, the fact that you may become stable in the future, unstable in the future is not a disability under the terms of this policy. You have to prove that you are unable to perform the duties of your occupation every month so it's an enduring duty to prove ongoing entitlement under a policy so be careful how you proceed here be careful with the the information that is provided i'm not saying pretend that you cannot work i would never do that i always tell somebody if you can work then we, there's then you should do that but in the context of having this condition where we've seen people go up and down and up and down i understand how that may work um so Long, long way to respond to this, I suppose, but get the doctor on board. Make sure that you and the doctor are on the same page. And very importantly, make sure that the evidence or the information that is communicated to the insurance company is such that it supports that you may only be able to work on a limited basis or do some form of functional activities on a limited basis and that you will be continually monitored. If that were to change and the, the amount of work that you're doing, is harming you then you should reduce it but if it if it changes to the extent that you're capable of doing it 
you may face a denial down the line as well. And if that were to happen, as we say to everybody, reach out to us and have a discussion with us to discuss your options. Well, I mean, your doctor really has final say, regardless of you know, mental health or otherwise, right? They're the gatekeeper of your health. And if they say you cannot work yet for whatever, you know, whatever ails you, that should be enough, no? That should be enough. And that's what we always say. And especially when it comes to mental health cases. I know I keep beating that drum yeah. this morning. Um, follow your doctor's advice. And if the insur- and I see this all the time, right? That's why we help so many people with mental health disabilities because the insurance company may look at the claim and say, no, no, we disagree. Our in-house consultant who has never had the benefit of examining you, seeing you, not, not even speaking with you, they just review records. They've made a decision now that you're able to go back to work in the face of you seeing a doctor, be it your family physician or a psychiatrist, on an ongoing basis, and they have had the benefit right. of reviewing you month by month, whatever it may be, to monitor your progress or your regression. So really, I agree, it should be them. They should be the ones who would be in a position to comment on this. And as you can hear, I get quite worked up about this because we see this all the time when people are struggling with their mental health, they're doing whatever they can in a good faith way to get better, following through the treatment, maybe even trying to volunteer somewhere. An insurance company may jump on that and say, oh, well, we see that your medication hasn't been changed or you're not seeing your doctor as regularly as you did before or you're able to do some work outside of home. We think that you are on an upward trajectory and we're going to deny your claim. If that happens, you contact us. That number again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. By the way, you want uh, short, concise answers about your questions when it comes to LTD. You have uh, some frequently asked questions. Well, there's a website for that, too. It's called ltdfaq.ca, ltdfaq.ca. And always the email is a good place to start to reach Martin as well, and that is help at disabilityrights.ca. Lots more of your emails coming up. They're, they're coming in, and we're getting to as many as we can with the remainder of the hour. So keep them coming. If we don't get to it this hour, we'll get them on the next show for sure as we continue more of the Disability Law Show. Hang in there. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Yep, this is a disability law show. Love you tuning in every week. There's always something to be learned. You may not need it now, but eventually if you do, man, you'll be uh, you'll be well equipped with the knowledge you get on this show. Martin Willems is your guy. Sam Firu to Mark and LLP. Always reach out to Martin. It'll cost you nothing just to pick up a phone, say hi, and uh, have a chat, get some basic information, go from there, one 855 821-5900. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. Next email is this. Uh, Martin says, hey, Martin, I'm on LTD due to stage 3A lung cancer. My oncologist has told me she doesn't want to or doesn't want me to return to work until I've completed my immunotherapy treatments, which will be in January 2024. My insurer called me today and indicated that they want to uh, implement a gradual return to work program in six weeks because they deem my condition to be stable based on a recent CT scan. It's a very stressful job I have, and my doctors have told me that stress is the worst thing for my recovery. Do I have any recourse here? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And this, like I was saying, this is just with the previous question. I get so worked up when I see these things. So it is somebody who has stage 3A lung cancer, right? It's a serious illness. It's a serious condition. The, the stress alone that comes with that. Right? They've gone through treatment. 
the CT scan that what showed what the 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 cancer hasn't progressed. Is that is that what we're saying? So now the person is able to go back to work, start a gradual return to work. Look at everything else that they're experiencing. They've already said that they're working in a very stressful job. They have a very stressful, serious diagnosis, which obviously leads to further stress. They've gone through some treatment, which obviously will have led to, I would think, some fatigue and other issues. The oncologist, the treating specialist here, the oncologist is saying this person needs to go through immunotherapy to allow them the best chance of recovering from a lung cancer diagnosis. This is serious. And this treatment is being done in January because we're living in a country where treatments are delayed because there is a scarcity of doctors and treatment providers. So they have to wait until January of next year before they can even get this treatment. Why on earth would this person be forced to go back to work now? Follow the doctor's advice. If the oncologist is saying you should wait until you've gone through this treatment, which makes complete sense, go through the immunotherapy, see how that works out, then return to work. If they went back to return to work now, think about that because the doctor has been saying this. It's a very stressful job. The treatment is not completed. They're looking at a cancer diagnosis. The doctor hmm. says it could be the worst thing. Stress is the worst thing for recovery. You hear this all the time. People, I'm not a doctor, but you hear how bad stress is for any condition. People may even get cancer as a result of it. So this person already has it. They want to be in the best mental state that they can to, to fight this illness, to get through this treatment, and then it will give them the best chance of returning to work, returning to work successfully. Clearly, if they go back to work now, as the doctor is predicting, this will not be good. And it may even lead to who knows what with respect yeah. to this condition. And then the insurance company is going to have a much bigger problem on their hands. So is there recourse here? Yes. You get your doctor to put in writing that you are not able to return to work at this time. Why that is, that the treatment is scheduled for January 2024. We're in October now. It's not that far away. Go through that treatment, and then you will be monitored to see whether you will be able to return to work. And have the doctor speak about the risks that you face, not in terms of failing with the return to work, but also that an earlier return to work to a very stressful workplace or job may lead to an exacerbation of your condition. And that will be on the insurance company's hands. So, yes, there is a recourse. And if they push you on this and if they deny you, please reach out to us. Quick one here, pal. So uh, this will fit in nicely with our remaining time uh, for this uh, this segment. Anyway, says, uh, Martin, I was denied an LTD claim 40 years ago. I wasn't healthy enough to fight. Can I now? Interesting. Okay. Tough one. Uh, remember what we said earlier this morning when I was speaking about the workplace issues? Yep. Under policies, these are insurance contracts, right? Um, there's legislation in each province that deals with something called a limitation period, and it differs from province to province. In BC and Alberta, for example, it may be two years from the date that your claim was denied, right? So this person was denied four years ago. Four years, yeah. It's not how, they say they weren't healthy enough to fight. Can they do it now? I'm not going to say to you, no, you cannot. Because, again, I want to see what that policy provides for. What does the language in the policy entail when it deals with something called limitations of actions? in which province you are, what is the legislation in terms of limitation periods in that province? And 
did the insurance company advise you of the running of the limitation period? Because in BC and Alberta, if they didn't do so, the limitation period may be suspended. So it's not a black or white yes or no response. There may be a small chance that you can fight that denial. So again, to anybody listening, if your claim had been denied and, you, and you're in this situation where you were too weak to fight, to appeal the denial or to do whatever it is that needed to be done and now you feel that you may be able to do so reach out to us the same thing I will say to many people this was a much bigger issue before 2012 but mm-hmm. may still be so now because I now and again I do speak to somebody who has this problem mm-hmm. if your disability claim was denied and then in a good faith effort you became embroiled in this appeal process and it may have taken a very long time and you've missed the time to file a legal claim still reach out to us because that does happen so the question the response to anybody listening if your claim is denied reach out to our firm because we can discuss with you not just what your options are but explain to you as well what limitation periods are at play and it depends on whether you were paid benefits whether your claim is just denied or and in which province you are. So you want to know these things and you want to know if you're going to do that appeal, which we don't often recommend, but if you're going to do it, remember the limitation period to pursue a legal claim continues to run regardless of you, whether you're pursuing that appeal. And that's important because you don't want to miss that deadline. And with that, we'll take uh, one more quick break on this side and get to a couple more emails with the remaining time. In the meantime, that phone number to reach out to Martin after the show, please do. Always invited and encouraged to do so. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. This is a disability law show. Stick around. We're coming right back. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, back with a few minutes to go here uh, this hour on the Disability Law Show. Back to your emails. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. Uh, good one here. Martin says, does the insurance company get to reduce your benefits if you apply for and receive the disability tax credit? What do you think? We always go back to basics. What does the yep. policy say? The policy is a contract. The contract provides for certain offsets, be they direct offsets, meaning that the insurance company can directly deduct it dollar for dollar from your benefit amount, or is it an indirect offset, which entails a different calculation? It's not dollar by four dollar. General offsets, direct offsets would be, as we discussed this morning, WorkSafe benefits, CPP disability benefits, and sometimes other types of benefits that you may get depending on what the language of the policy says. Um, Disability tax credit. It is not necessarily a monthly benefit that you're receiving due to um, contributions that you've made to a plan, for example, CPP disability benefits. Disability tax credit, as I understand it, it is you're qualified for certain credits to be deducted from your income. So I do not see how a disability tax credit is going to result in the insurance company being able to pay or to deduct the savings that you get as a result of that. I'll use it as an example. If your benefit is $4,000 from the insurance company and it is a taxable benefit 
Right. And then the, you then receive a disability tax credit approval by CRA. It just means that CRA is going to allow you some credits to pay less tax. It's not going to, in my mind, impact your benefit amount in terms of the insurance company deducting more money. I don't see that happening. Um, one thing, though, that you should consider as well is if you have applied for the disability tax credit and if it has been approved, the the test, the criteria are quite onerous. And if the insurance company denies your claim, yet you've been approved for the disability tax credit, I would say that that is further evidence to support that you are disabled within the meaning of the policy, be it your own or any other occupation, because it's not easy to get the disability tax credit approved. So basically you're saying, as we mentioned before, like you can, you're almost saying to the insurance company, if they deny you or cut you, Hey, look, the government says, you know, their test is tougher than yours and they agree that I'm, I'm disabled. So what gives, how come you're not, uh, how come you're not stepping up that sort of thing? Definitely that, but because we often, as you know, John, we say this with respect to CPP disability benefits, where the test is, you must show that you have an illness or a condition that is number one, severe, number two, prolonged, and number three, to the extent that you cannot work in any gainful occupation. That is the literal definition. And it's adjudicated by Service Canada, paid by the federal government. And if you're approved for that, we often, well, we do say, look, even the federal government has accepted that this person mm -hmm. cannot work in any gainful occupation, right? Not just their own, any gainful occupation. And the disability tax credit, in my mind, has even more onerous language. So if it is that you're approved for both of them, I would definitely say to the insurer, How? why are you denying my claim? Based on what? The government has the same evidence. The government has the same um, information. They're approving the claim. So as you say, what gives? Let's fight well, that fight. Will they will the insurance company not get you to apply for it anyway for the offset if there is an offset which is good to you because you'll still have benefit coming in if they cut you off but isn't that it's not going to be part of your policy? Similar to what we discussed this morning, the insurance company may not say that to you from the outset. I suppose if you right. have a very serious disability, like uh, you were in a very serious accident and you're bedridden, and yeah. chances are the things are not going to get better. Then they may say to you at that point, look, we need you to apply for CPP disability because yes. you must apply to other sources of income. But if it is you've got anxiety and depression, there's a hope that you will improve. They may not push you to do that during the first two years, but when it gets to the any occupation phase, they may start mm. pushing you to do that. So the policies generally provide that if you are entitled to a benefit and you do not um, apply for it that they may be able to deduct it that's now on the part of the insurance company so you want to see what the language in your policy is but yes if you do get approved for it it is in your benefit to some degree because if the insurance company denies your claim you will continue to receive or should continue to receive that disability benefit through the cpp disability plan Let's try to squeeze in one more email with our last couple minutes here. Pal says, uh, Martin, I've been diagnosed with early onset dementia. The stress created from working with a corporate team who don't care for me is affecting my diagnosis in a negative way. I'm afraid they will deny my claim, so I'm working while I shouldn't be. I'm concerned about this, um, hearing this and reading this, because I've been involved in representing somebody with a similar problem, but they weren't aware that they had early onset dementia. They were making mistakes at work then were terminated, then filed the claim later on when the f diagnosis was made. Here it means, it says that the person has been diagnosed. Early onset dementia will worsen over time. If it is creating stress working with a team, 
and it's creating negative stress, obviously that's not good, as we discussed earlier with respect to any diagnosis. So have a discussion with your doctor. It is crucial. Go speak to your doctor. This is a serious diagnosis as well. You're going to have, to, over time, cognitive impairment with difficulty oh, yeah. to remember things, focus, concentrate. There will probably be some form of a mental health disorder slipping in as well with respect to depression. So make sure, moving forward, that you see your doctor on a regular basis, that your doctor makes sure that you are referred to the appropriate specialists. And as I said, many, I've said before, do not work yourself out of a claim. If the doctors support and recommend that you stop working, due to the diagnosis and the functional impairment as a result of the diagnosis, follow your doctor's advice. You do not want to be in a position where your, your employment is terminated because you're making mistakes and you just carried on working because you didn't want to stop working. And then ultimately you'll let go because of the diagnosis itself. Um, still can be fought, as I've done before for someone else, but in this case, it's, it is an objective diagnosis. There's evidence to support this. I would assume it was made by a neurologist. So speak to the doctors and follow their advice. And if they say stop working, I would recommend that you follow the doctor's advice because of the things that I've just laid out. You know, all these emails, well, the, you know, the vast majority of these, Martin, it's like, you know, follow Dodger's advice. You know, you need just note from your doctor, so and so forth, to, to, to trigger the, uh, the claim, so and so forth. Do you guys not guide, not suggest, but can you help in any regard doctors and not sure how to, to navigate the conduct with a, an insurance company? Because it's not what they do. They fix bodies. They don't deal with insurance companies. You know what I mean? You know, it's a good question. I, I've spoken to doctors who get extremely frustrated when they do right. support somebody who cannot work. They've completed the paperwork and the person gets denied. The doctor then writes a letter. The person gets denied. They do appeal after appeal after appeal. And the doctors get so frustrated because, as you say, they are there to treat people, not necessarily to complete paperwork, which interferes with what they're really wanting to do. So they get mm -hmm. frustrated, not just with the insurance company, sometimes also exasperated with the patient because yeah. it's not a good situation. So, yes, I have spoken to doctors in the past who have reached out to me and I know to other members of the team to ask, how should we navigate this? This is what I believe is wrong with the patient. This is why I think they cannot work. And then I may give them guidance as to where to focus. You have to focus on the restrictions and limitations. Again, I know we're running out of time, but I'll say this. I've seen people apply for disability benefits. The doctor says my patient has depression, therefore they cannot work. That claim will be denied. Why will it be denied? Because it's not so much just the diagnosis. It is the functional impairment resulting from the diagnosis. What are the restrictions? What are the limitations? So what you want to do is you want to have your doctor speak about what your employment is. Like this person was saying, they work in a very stressful environment. What is the job? What are the duties? Does it require high cognitive functioning? Yeah. If you have early onset dementia, what are the restrictions and limitations? Cannot meet deadlines, cannot focus, cannot concentrate, poor memory, now having anxiety and depression issues. These impact a person's ability to perform those duties Therefore, they should not work. And these are the discussions that we will, that we continue to have with doctors and patients or clients who reach out to us to assist them in trying to get their claims approved. And with that, we got to slide out of here. Here's the contact information one more time. one 821 5900 to meet Martin and his team. Help at disabilityrights.ca through email and anything else. You can go to mydisabilityquestions.com. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show.
The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.